Amen. Good to be here with each one of you. Welcome tonight, church. If you're here for the very first time, we're so glad that you're here. What a blessing it is to be with God's people on the Sabbath. Tonight, we enter into the last message of the series, Faithful, a guide to living in a post-Christian world. If you've missed anything in this series, tonight is going to come to a climax as the story portion of the book of Daniel comes to a close, and then we enter into a series of prophecy, chapters 7 through 12. While we're not going to be going there, there will be some elements that I'm going to highlight here tonight. Would you bow your heads with me? Amazing God, we come before you as a people who are eager to hear from you. A people who know that, God, if you don't speak, we will be lost. God, we know that if you're not watching, it's in vain to have any protection. God, if you're not with us, we will lack peace. And so, Lord, tonight we pray for first your presence. Be amongst us. Be in us. And Lord, may clarity emerge as your word comes out. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone here tonight who's in the throes of decision, in the space of trying to figure out, God, what is it that you want from me in this life that so much is being demanded from the world to do this, do that, God, tonight my prayer is that there would be clarity for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do you need a gun? Asked my concerned professor. He saw the guide fling a 375 caliber rifle around his shoulder and he asked again, why do we need a gun? Simple response. We're in lion territory, my friend. Who? The hair in the back of my professor's head just shot up. He and his wife, colleague from the seminary, were on a tour there in a safari land in the beautiful savannah there in Africa and Kenya. And the guide said, we are stepping out of our vehicle now and everyone, I need you to pay attention extremely clearly to what I'm saying right now. Cat territory is not like your little cats from America. We're entering to lion lands. If I happen to lift my hand up, let there be silence. Do not breathe. Okay, sure. Agreed? Yes, yes, absolutely. And so they began their little walk down a small ravine and they were going to see a certain unique area in the savannah that the guide said usually has lots of beautiful animals to observe. Normally, lions are not here, but being that it's the safari, no land is protected. And so they make their way down into the long pits of that ravine, and as they're going up, all of a sudden, the guide says, oh no. If you're in a guide and the guy just previously told you in your lion territory and he says, oh no, you know that's not good. And he says, oh no, oh no, 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 no. And they're like, 
uh, mm, oh no. <laughs> at that point, I was at the edge of my seat, listening there to thy missions professor tell me the story. And they make their way up above the ravine, and sure enough, as they were making the kind of moment above, they could see why he was saying, oh no. Huge footprints, size of literally both my arms put together, the paw prints, huge paw prints. Big kitty. And they make their way up, and he says, these look fresh. Sure enough, as they make their way up above, saw a little uh, something foul and brown. And it was steaming. And they get up to the top, and they look out, and sure enough, it was beautiful. Expanse. There they saw some zebras on the far distance. There was a giraffe, and they were observing and looking, and all of a sudden, kind of their, their mood just kind of quieted, and it was just kind of peaceful. And then all of a sudden, as they're walking, he... And his wife is still talking to the colleague. And the rifle comes up. Far into the distance, something was emerging, brown in color, mane, large. It was a lion. He told them in kind of the talks that many times, usually lions won't attack humans, but they have been known to do such thing. Stand still, don't move, shh, rifle up, pointed at the lion. And now that little walk started to get into a psalter, started moving faster, faster, straight towards them. And all of a sudden, my professor from the periphery of his eye, <gasps> and the other person that was behind them calling, <gasps> not only one, not only two, not only three, there was a pack of lions making their way towards them. They were in lion territory. My professor, under his breath, just started to pray. Please, dear God. Please, dear God. I want to see my grandchildren. Please, Lord, help us. Jesus, Jesus. You could hear the wife. Heavenly Father, please, please. And the lions all of a sudden stopped their gallop and just stopped all of a sudden. There now, they're within 15, 20 feet from them. They could see them, the lions heaving. And they stopped, they looked, sniffed. And for some strange reason, this pack of four, five, six of them turned right around and went away. They lived to tell the story to us seminary students there as we were on the edge of our seat and the professor shared a passage of scripture that never is the same since hearing that story. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be alert and sober-minded. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking to whom he may devour. Tonight, we enter into what is known as probably one of the most miraculous stories in Scripture, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. Many who approach the story look at it potentially from a liberal perspective, thinking, ah, it's just a fabled story. You know, it didn't really happen. Most likely, ah, it's, it's, it's just kind of a children's story. I tell it to my kids, and they're like, <gasps> scared and wondering, oh my goodness, how could that happen? But we enter into a story that if we are not to believe the story of Daniel, then should we also ask ourselves, is it a strange reality to believe in a Jesus who died on the cross, lived in a grave, dead for three days and was risen? Can we start saying we don't believe that either then? Or can we say that maybe God is miraculous and maybe there is something for us to pay attention to? But the story carries so much more than the fabled children's ideas that potentially some may say not, not real and others may say absolutely is. There is something there that is so important for you and I to comprehend that tonight we enter into together to study what God's people need to understand as we are in earth's final hours and moments. So turn with me with your Bible or look up on the stage and take a look at this story of Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. If you have an iPhone, pop it out. Or maybe you were faithful and you brought a real Bible with you. I'm amongst the fake Bible people. I have my iPad here. And so here the story emerges. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one whom was Daniel. First off, we have to understand Daniel now is in the emperor's reign, who is the second one on that statue of Daniel chapter 6. Gold, then you had what was the next metal? Silver, and then bronze, and then iron, and then iron and clay. Yes, good job. Now he's in the silver reign. Nebuchadnezzar, the man of gold, had ceased to exist, and now Medo-Persia took over. Now, the word Darius is a unique name because it just simply means, if you translate it directly, the one who holds the scepter, the one who was ruling. It might have not even been his real name, but it was the one who was known as the one in charge. The unique thing for us to capture here in the very first verse is that out of all of the people that lived throughout that time, it is Daniel who survived literally three to four different kings and two different, completely different nations. This man was most likely in his 80s. He had survived wars, calamity, taken from his own people, driven into a world he does not know, a language that he does not understand at first, and God blesses him through it all. Does it mean that he came out of that unscathed? No. He saw a lot, experienced hardship. This was a man who had gone through so much. And so here we capture the story now continuing. 
Verse 3, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. You know, I wish it could be said of Christian leaders, of Christians themselves, that they would be so faithful that it would be tough to find anything against them. The reality is that living in this modern world, we hear story after story, famed pastor, Christian leader, author, president, this person, abuse, scandal, thievery, drug issues, addiction, and it's just like, Oh, Lord. And it's tough. Listen, I get it. I get it. It's hard to live in this Christian world as a believer. It's very difficult. If someone dug deep enough into your life, asked enough people about you, they'd have enough to incriminate you of some crime. Maybe not murder, but might it be something? Mar your character in front of others embarrass you in front of a potential person you'd like to go on a date with. Oh, do you know? Did anyone tell you? He asked a bunch of girls out to dates. What? Did you know? She cheated probably on a couple of those tests. I was next to her on the school. What? Did you know anything about what he did previously? Do you understand? If people had enough about you, they could say all kinds of stuff. These officials, they tried to find something about Daniel, but they could not find anything. This man was of faithful resolve, living in a non-religious, of his religious, I should say, community. He stood the test of time, literally through empires, And remained faithful. If people want to tell you that it's impossible to live in this modern world and not fall to its temptations, to give in to its allurements, to fall and say, you know what? I'll stick with that. That sounds great. Compromise, fine, because this is better. Daniel is that example that stands out and gives us a reality check. As young adults, he started as a young adult in his prime. Talk about everything at his fingertips. This guy was of the most intelligent caliber, always finding his way to the top. Why? Because he kept saying, in the midst of it all, I'd rather be faithful than have the fame of those around me. And through his faithfulness, each step of the way, choosing rather the path that is more difficult, is strange because people who were in power above him admired that, took note of that, and said, I respect that. And that to me means more than you realize. Can I put you in charge of more? He who is faithful and little The Bible says, we'll be given what? A lot, yeah. More, much. 
God will bless you beyond what you've been able to even hold on to those few things that God says, man, listen, try and live into it. Now, we understood in the previous chapters that people are not without mistake. What Daniel did or thought about, potentially there were things that he wouldn't be questionable. Did he struggle with temptation? Is he a perfect man? Probably not, no. And it doesn't seem to be that that is the requirement to be a Christian either, perfection. But there is something to the idea of influence amongst others who don't believe the Lord when you and I walk faithfully before God and them that impacts them, that makes a difference, that tells them, listen, I'm going to pay attention to this guy. When he speaks it is not foolishness that comes out of his mouth. There's, there's thoughtfulness. When he acts, it isn't in brash ways that seem to, uh, wait, he said he's a believer, but he's doing what? Daniel, for some reason, did not have question about his morals. It's the first thing to note here. But it's also the first thing that those who are his peers and below him, they get pissed about. Because what happens? Listen, verse now, verse 4. At this, the administrators, the satraps, tried to find charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they weren't able to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless... It has to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed, liars, Daniel didn't, to the following issue in edict that should be enforced, that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree, put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so King Darius put the decree in writing. People say, listen, who would ever in our world tell us you can't pray anymore? Who would ever say in any mind like the president is going to tell us, hey, no one's allowed to pray anymore? Would you ever hear that out of Biden's mouth? Did you ever say anything like that? Did you ever hear that out of someone in, in Congress? Did you ever... Did you ever hear one of our state legislators, hey, listen, no more, no more prayer? On first thought, maybe no, but on second thought, actually, yes. The moment people start saying, no, there's no God in this place, it's not allowed, please do not pray. Mm, no. No, you can't believe those things about others because that's against. No, your Christian values don't fit here. No. Maybe there's not the word don't pray here. Maybe there's not this prayer of, 
And maybe there's not this statement of, listen, you're not allowed to worship, but there are statements that are being made where now people do have to fear for what they say, what they think, what they post, because it may infringe their work, their credibility. I've spent time with professors who have literally bemoaned to me the sadness in their heart that they cannot share what they really believe out of fear that they will not only lose tenure but lose their jobs. No, we are not in a world that says do not pray, but we absolutely are in a world that is post-Christian. What you believe is under scrutiny. Yes, here in the United States of America even. The land that on every dollar bill says, in God we trust, and yet, as most every Ivy League institution believes the words of Karl Marx says, ah, nope, for God is dead. And anyone who wants to raise him up by the way they live will be dead, whether it's professionally or relationally, and we will ensure it happens. Talk to some of our friends who are here at Praxis that, that work in some of these scientific spaces. It's very difficult for them. But let's talk about other spaces in schools. Individuals who are working in other demographics, can they be upfront with their faith? No. But there is also a statement that I do need to make. And that is, you don't always also need to live a public faith. Sometimes people ask and say, Pastor, how can I live as a believer? And sometimes there's this vision that you should be out there in the corner holding up your Bible. Maybe you should be having a Bible study at work or sitting there and calling people to repentance. And listen, I'm not saying that would be bad, right? But our Christian legalisms, you could say, our Christian morals cannot be enforced on others. And that's what's happening sometimes, and that's what culture wants to push back against. And so to that extent, I understand that. That makes sense to me. Because look what happens in Daniel's life. Listen to this. Verse 10, and Daniel learned that the decree was published, and he went home to his upstairs room where he the windows were open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got on his knees, prayed, giving thanks to God for what he had done. Did Daniel go to the king and emperor and demand that he be able to read the Bible there in front of him? They didn't have a Bible, obviously, but a scroll. That he could sit there and pray and, and chant out loud. Sometimes there is this aggressive nature that some people want to force, which society is like, no. And so if some of you here tonight are unbelievers and you're listening and you're like, you know what? There's been so much religion shoved down my throat and I feel so like judged. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. I really am. Because the beliefs that we hold become legalism when we try to impose it on you. But you see, the thing is, Daniel's life though and when he had to speak, it did speak the truth. 
And so our first point is to understand that Daniel lived faithfully. But the second point was that Daniel did not have to project his Christianity, didn't have to impose his morality upon the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian world. You have to live like I do, and I demand it. No, it was his life that spoke of a truth that others admired, and that when he was called to speak, he did not mince his words, because God will give you the opportunity to say what you need to say when you're called to say it. But it does not mean you have to be a poster board and an annoyance. Did you see Jesus walking around at every single square, yelling out, calling out, demanding, pointing fingers? No. You know who did that, though? The Pharisees. The teachers of the law the people that Jesus spoke the most against. And so there is an abusive way of that Christianity is imposed upon a world that it does not have to have a place. But there is also a very distinct thing. When you're called to say something, you need to say something. And your life should be a sermon that people have no doubt who your allegiance is to. The text points out that it says that Daniel went and prayed three times, verse 10. Three times a day he went to pray. You see, it's difficult for us to stand in the midst of a storm when we never prayed before the storm. Some people get in the midst of a very difficult situation who had no spiritual foundation but were raised maybe in a, a Christian home and they had parents that loved Jesus and they went to the church on weekends and they were there at Sabbath school and they heard the stories but nothing actually penetrated. Nothing actually moved from the head to the heart. They didn't actually have a devotion that got them on their knees in a position of humility before God because they didn't bow down to anybody. And they never made their faith their own. And they didn't have anything to hold on to so that when the storm came, they found out it was sand underneath and not a rock they could build a house on. A little children's story is a true one. When the rains came and the floods emerged, the house that stood was the one that was built on the rock. The third principle for you and I to understand here from Daniel is that you need to be building up your spiritual life now. Do not wait for the crisis. Can I stop for a moment and say, the reality is the crisis is in front of us right now. We live in this post-Christian world. We're here in crisis mode. Each one of us has to be investing in our spiritual walk with Jesus because when times get tough for you personally, if you don't have this consistency with Jesus now, it's going to be tough to have it then. And then what happens usually? Oh, God, why did you allow this? This is, I can't believe you. Where were you, God? We begin to blame the Lord because we never knew the Lord. You blame the one you didn't have a relationship with, and he's the easiest one to call as your scapegoat. I thought you were supposed to bless me. I thought there was something that I could gain from kind of being around these Christian people. 
brother, that's not what God is. He's not your vending machine where you push a button and out comes the product. It's a relationship with a person who sees time that is beyond linear fashion. He knows the end from the beginning as Job lamented there. But could you not have? And God gets to the end of the chapter and Job just bows his head. Oh, sovereign Lord, unrighteous man that I am, you know the end from the beginning. And so this is the time to invest in your walk with God. This is the season to get deep to understand the mercies of Jesus, but also to understand the 66 books of the Bible, to know what it means when we talk about sanctification and justification. And do you understand what it means when Jesus says the righteous shall live by faith there in Romans through Paul? Do you understand the ideas and concepts that will save people's soul? This is the time to do it. You're in these young adult years and you got to realize the church is no longer your parents' church. It's not about being able to text your parents when you leave here. I went to church, mom. I was there, dad. Who cares? Who cares? If you don't do it for you, if you don't do it because you want to grow, if you don't do it because, man, eternity's at stake, it's time to rise up Live like Daniel in the face of literally his life. When he had to choose between life and eternity, he understood the difference. Because when he had to say, should I pray to the God who created me and sustained me for all these years? Or should I listen to this feeble man and these people who want to take me out? My life's not worth that much. I'm definitely not going with that. Your beliefs will be challenged, but guess what? You and I are more likely to compromise when we don't even know what we believe. I could list all kinds of things for you that I've had young adults in my office about where it's just like, bro, do you know that's in the Bible and that what you're telling me literally right now, you're just like clueless that God has a word about that? What? Pastor, I, I, I'm feeling uncomfortable. The word's making you uncomfortable. I'm just literally repeating it to you. If that makes you uncomfortable, you have a problem with Jesus, not me. This is your season to get deep. And some of you right now, you're kind of like, oh, I, 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 I don't like this. What is it that you don't like? That as Paul says, you should be eating meat now, but I still have to give you milk. You're still suckling on milk, and you should be teachers, Paul says. You should know, but you don't. And so my challenge to you today is with gentleness. I wasn't gentle just now. With gentleness and sincerity in my heart, please, now is your time to deepen in your walk with the Lord. Do not take it for granted that this is your moment. This is your moment to build your foundation that when the stores emerge, you will stand. And stand does not mean you may not lose something. Because the truth is, Jesus said, in this life, you will have many 
troubles. For they hated me and they will hate you. But the problem is, many times they don't hate us. Because either we don't know what we believe and so we're compromising or we clearly know what we believe. We just don't want to live it because it would hurt. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite quotes that he utters, he says, when Christ calls a man, woman, he calls them to come and die. You and I have to make peace with our life, with our reputation, with our careers, and with our relationships. That was just point three. Now, just to conclude here at this moment. And so this king spoke to him about this decree. Verse 12, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Your majesty or the, the decree was made, and he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. But in the Medes and the Persians ruling, there you saw it cannot be repealed. Even the king himself could not change the law. Verse 15, then the men went as a group to King Darius who had said to them, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict can be issued or changed. And so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. It's at this point that some of us find ourselves in maybe this evening. In a pit of anxiety. In a pit of relational despair. In a pit of hardship. In a pit of depression. In a pit of loneliness. In a pit that we feel like we cannot climb out of. And maybe some of us even, it might be the pit of persecution for your faith. Some people say Daniel found a little quiet corner to kind of hide into while the lions roared. Other theologians say he hid under the hay. Others said they must have been real hungry and eaten something ravishly right before they threw him in. But listen to what the text says now. As the stone was placed over the mouth of the den, the king sealed it with his own signet and Daniel's situation could not be changed. And the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without entertainment, and he could not sleep. And at first dawn, the king got up and hurried into the lion's den. And when he came near to the den, he called out to Daniel in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. Shutting the mouth of the lion meant they were hungry and they were pacing. They were fiercely hungry and walking all over. Imagine sitting there with a lion going back and forth, but an angel of the Lord closed it and held it shut. 
Do you imagine they rubbed against him? Do you imagine they hit him in some way? Oh, I'm sure. But it said that part that could kill him did not. Will you get hurt in this life as a believer? Yes. But will you have a God who will help you, that will be with you, that will stand in your darkness, that will be in the midst of your pain, that will revive you when you're dead, that will put birth into what seems like nothing is alive, that will bring newness to the deadness? Yes. But friends, this is a God that you have to cry out to and know now. The Bible tells us that Babylon, this empire that died, will be resurrected again in the last days. If you know anything about Adventist eschatology and understanding of prophecy, Revelation chapter 17 and 18 tells us that Babylon will rise in its own way again. And there Jesus calls out through the prophet John, come out of Babylon, my people. Come out of her. Tonight we serve such a God that has such an embrace over each one of us. It says, I want you with me to the end, but I need you to come out of the pit. I'm calling you forth to life. You will not die, but I need you to leave the space of darkness that you're in. I'm here to take your embrace, to hold you in my arms. And so tonight I'll leave you with three practical things to consider as we leave here tonight. Is there a darkness that has enshrouded you, that has compromised you, that Jesus is calling you forth? Friend, leave it. Leave it behind. Secondly, is there a stand that you need to make? Is there a stand that you need to make with your life and your words this week, whether it be in a relationship, whether it be in your professional life, whether it be with your personal life? Is there a stand you need to make? And thirdly, is there a mindset shift that you need to make to realize your life is not about a single 70, 75, 80, blue zone, 100 years that you live, that maybe you need to recognize that it's worth it to die to the world's ways so that you might live for eternity and not choose a path that really won't satisfy forever. Tonight, the choice is yours. Might there be something from any of those three calls that you're called to make. We serve a generous and rich God who is gracious in mercy, full of faith, believes in you, trusts in you, and calls each one of us higher. And he does not leave you alone to make that reach. He's with you. He loves you. And he cares for you. And he believes that you can do it. By his righteousness, you're going to make it.